thank you for your word. I pray now that you'd open it up to us in the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to live it out. Lord, teach us what it means to live a good life and let us live that life to the fullest extent, to the glory and praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and rest on me to bring your word to your people today through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Proverbs 14, 14 says this, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. A good man or woman will be filled with the fruit of their ways. And then to Luke, the sixth chapter. Picking up with verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And then finally, to Ephesians chapter 4, picking up with verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, there was a great news story here this past week that you might have missed in all the, the hubbub around uh, different things happening in the world. Uh, and it was about a finding in Germany. Uh, a doctor, I believe it was in Tübingen, um, was able to hook up um, a device to the, the heads of people who are in locked-in syndrome. Now, if you know locked-in syndrome, uh, it is where the body has stopped working, but the person is still alive, but they have no more control over their body. Uh, they can't control their movements, they can't talk, uh, they can't do anything, uh, but we know they're alive, we know that they have brain waves and things. So this scientist said, okay, if I put this cap on people with electrodes that are connected to um, um, uh, uh, fMRI uh, type machine, then I can start to train the brain and maybe we can pick up on brain patterns uh, to have a, a simple conversation with people. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, they tested it on four people uh, who had locked-in syndrome. And in all four, the test was uh, remarkably successful and they were able to have conversations with these people, albeit very simple conversations, um, when uh, people just thought that was absolutely impossible. And the interesting finding that came through this 
And it's very important because in other tests that have been done in the past with people in locked-in syndrome, the results have been remarkably similar. But the interesting finding in, in this study was that of the four people they tested this on, all four of them said that they were happy with their life. Interesting. All four said they were happy with their life. You can look up the, uh, the article, is in The Guardian, and you can Google that online, locked-in syndrome, and you'll find the article just about five days ago in The Guardian. And it reminded me of probably the most powerful story that I ever saw on a news broadcast, um, and that was back about, actually, ironically, about 30 years ago, I was watching the TV in the United States at that time, and they were doing this study uh, with uh, people who had Down syndrome, children who had Down syndrome. And they were developing a new technique with com uh, computers, uh, then, you know, in, the, in the, the infancy, that's even before color monitors, uh, where they were teaching them how to communicate, uh, and they were finding some great breakthroughs with computers. And they were interviewing one of these uh, young people who had had Down syndrome, who was learning how to communicate. Uh, and, uh, and this young person said, you know, God speaks to me in my head. I thought, that's kind of interesting. And the interviewer said, he does. What does he say? And the person said, he says that he loves even me. We've been talking about living the good life. And this comes on uh, as an outflow of talking about the goodness of God. And we remember what we've said, and, and it's really great to get a lot of the testimonies and emails that I've gotten from people just to say how, how influential this has been for them. That we've said that God is good, and God is good how often? All the time, that's right. God is good all the time. God does good all the time. Uh, he's incapable of not doing, he's not, in, uh, he's incapable of not doing good. God superintends good. He plans good. He's created a good creation for us. He's given us his good spirit. You know, God is good. And his goodness is a fundamental dynamic of his character. God cannot cease to be good and still be God. It's impossible. God is good every bit as much as God is love and every bit as much as God is holy. And that's what we've been talking about, and I'll keep reminding you of that, because if you don't believe that aspect of God, you will not live your life effectively as a Christian. If you do not believe that God is good all the time, and that God always does good, and God can never do anything that's not good, you will not live effectively as a Christian. So out of that reality, though, then we said, okay, then what does it mean to live a good life? Because we all want to live a good life. And we've been looking at that the last few weeks, and we're looking at that again in these texts, and we discover something that's absolutely fundamental that links the story about the young child with Down syndrome and links the story about those that have locked-in syndrome. And that is this... The good life, the primary dynamic for living a good life is having a good heart. As on the inside, being good. 
What you are at the core of your being, what you understand at the core of your being, and living out of that reality is the fundamental dynamic for living a good life. If somebody who has locked-in syndrome, who are having to be, who's having to be cared for all the time, who can't control any of their emotions, uh, uh, emotions of their body, uh, who have no control over how to talk and things like that, if they can say, yes, I'm happy with my life, there's a dynamic that's happening there. Because it's certainly not their circumstances. It's certainly not, you can't just attribute it to their character. There's something that is going on there, and that something is that somehow inside they are living out their life. And so the key for living a good life is being a good person. Out of the goodness of his heart, a good man will live out of the goodness of his heart. That's what Solomon was saying there in Proverbs. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you are a bad tree, you cannot bear good fruit. If you are a bad tree, it is impossible really to live that which is genuinely the good life. At the same time, if you are a good tree, if in the fundamental dynamic of the inner core of your being you are good, you are healthy, then you will live out of that reality. You will live out of that goodness and you can experience the good life out of that goodness that is inside of you. And if you want to know it's inside of you, just listen to the way you talk. Because he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're complaining and criticizing and grumbling all the time, then you need to say, okay, God, what's happening on the inside? So there's that dynamic. Jesus is saying here, essentially, that living the good life means living out of the overflow, the treasure the core of your being, that is good. That is good. And if that core is good, and if you're living out of that core that is good, then no matter your outward circumstances, you can live the good life. And that's really the challenge. That's the challenge that the world gives. There's so many people, including Christians, that are trying to find the good life in outward circumstances. You see it all the time. You know, we, we used to say that our culture was monogamous. Actually, we don't practice monogamy in Western cultures anymore. We haven't practiced monogamy for a very long time. What we practice is what's called serial monogamy. In other words, you can have as many wives or husbands as you want to have in the West as long as you have them one at a time. That's serial monogamy. And why is that such an issue? It's because people are going from relationship to relationship to relationship, thinking that if I find the right person, then I'll have the right life. Then I can live the good life. Now, why is one of the reasons that people are going from job to job to job? The average job tenure is only about 18 months. Why is that? Because many people move from job to job to job, thinking that I have the right job with the right salary, then I'm going to lead, the, then I'm going to have the good life. It's one of the reasons why we have so many economic migrants in the world today, not only fleeing the terrors of war, which we can certainly understand, but some people think if I only get to the right country, 
then I'll have the good life. That's what the United States, for example, was founded on. People from all over the world coming to have what they considered to be the good life. And we think if I have the right money, I'll have the good life. Or we sometimes think if I'm in the right church, I'll have the good life. And so we have Christians that hop from church to church to church, thinking that somehow they're going to find the good life by finding the right church. If I have the right pastor, if there's the right uh, worship, uh, the music in the service is right, if the preaching is right, you know, if all these things are right, then I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to have the good life. And the problem with all of those things that Jesus himself would point out is you're trying to live from outward circumstances. And if your focus is on outward circumstances and you're trying to live the good life based on those outward circumstances first and foremost you will never live it you will never find it you will never have it because the good life is lived out of the good treasure that's stored up in your heart the good life is lived out of the good person that you are but boy that really creates a problem doesn't it because Jesus himself said nobody's good only God's good this is a crisis. How can we live the good life if the good life comes out of the goodness that's inside of us if there's no real good inside of us? How is that possible? How can we gain that? How can we see that? Well, it's possible because in Christ Jesus, we've been made new. In Christ Jesus, we are new creations. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Even to a degree, if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's a certain reality that can come up because we're all created in the image of God. It means every human being has intrinsic worth and intrinsic value, and there's some dynamic that's there, even though it's been crowded out by sin, and even though we're completely corrupted because of sin in us, there's still the reality that we're all created in the image of God. But ultimately, the only way to be genuinely good is through relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And in that whole process of coming into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, makes us, remakes us at the very core of our being, at the very center of our being, in our very spirit, we are made new creations. Life is coming in there, and we have been given then the holiness of God, we're given the righteousness of God, but we're also given the goodness of God. And sometimes we miss this. God has made us a good tree. God has made it possible for us to lead the good life because of Christ in us. Because of Christ in us. And that's the good news that we have. The challenge we face is the same challenge as what Paul was talking to the Ephesians about. Even though we've been remade in the image of God, even though we have the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us, the goodness of God, we've been made good, we've been made holy, we've been sanctified, we've been saved by grace through faith. Even though that reality is present, we can often choose to live as the Gentiles do. Excuse me. When Paul says that, Remember, he's talking to Christians. He says, don't walk anymore like the Gentiles are walking. Don't live like they're living because the way they're living is in the futility of their minds. 
And that's the way that many Christians are living. We live in the same futility of mind that the Gentiles do. Even though we've been saved by grace through faith, even though we're new creations in Christ Jesus, somehow we choose to believe the lies that the world is telling us. We choose to believe the lies that our flesh tells us. We choose to believe the lies that that Satan tells us, that the good life is out there. That the good life is something we have to go out and get. That the good life depends on having the right person in our lives and the right job and the right money. We believe all those lies and we end up living in the futility of our minds darkened in our understanding. So what's the antidote, according to Paul? And Paul gives us a threefold antidote there. Remembering that we've been saved by grace through faith. Remembering what we have learned, how we came to faith in Jesus Christ remembering that in Christ we are new creations because otherwise we descend into a legalism that just becomes another attempt to lead the good life. All legalism that comes forward in in Christianity, in uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all of that is a religious attempt to lead a good life. And it's an attempt based on outward circumstances. If I just follow the, the, the four pillars, you know, I'll get there. If I just follow the eightfold path, I'll get there. If I, if I just follow the Ten Commandments, I'll get there. And that's a delusion as well. So we have to act on this based on the idea that we've been saved by grace through faith, that we've already been given the righteousness of God, that we have been transformed into the good people by the goodness of God given to us through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our foundation and that's our reality because this is not a legalistic thing. But that said then, we have to put off the old self. There is an intentional resistance to the stinking thinking that the world tries to lure us into that we must engage in. It's the idea that whenever we find ourselves wandering down that path, for example, in in the context of this thinking that I'm going to get the good life if I just have the money or just have the job or whatever, 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 that when we find ourselves walking down that path, we need to say, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to walk in that direction. I'm going to put all of that off. I'm not going to live according to the desires of my flesh, what my body is driving me to do right now. I'm going to put that off. I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to put that away. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to lay it down. I don't want to have it. And that's the first step. As long as we are living in that futility of mind, as long as we're living in our old self and trying to find an old way, a worldly way of living, we'll never get to the good life. And let me tell you this, being a Christian who is trying to live in a worldly way is the absolute most miserable way to be. Over my life, the most miserable people that I've ever met in my entire life have been Christians who are trying to live in the world as well as living for Jesus. It never works. It makes you miserable. And, and that's why, for example, you, you see why many people don't want to become Christians. Because they think, wow, those Christians are miserable. They're terrible. They're grumpy. And they don't like. They're talking about what they're against all the time. That's terrible. Well, why is that? Well, they're resisting the fact that here are Christians who are trying to live in the world while living as a Christian. Who are living in their old self 
instead of their new self. So that's, that's the first bit. But then the second bit from Paul is, is kind of interesting. He says you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewed in the spirit of your... Okay, is it your spirit or is it your mind? You know, what, what's the dynamic here? How does this work? And it is the spirit of your mind. So what is he talking about here? Well, let me try to illustrate the dynamic. At the very core of who we are is our spirit. The very core. And then the next layer around us is what we might call our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. You see this when Paul says, let you be thoroughly sanctified, there in Thessalonians, be thoroughly sanctified, spirit, soul, and body. So you have the soul, and then the outward manifestation of, of us is our body, is, our, is, is the flesh and bone around us. But the spirit is the very core of our being. The spirit is where we're made in the image of God. We're not made in the image of God in terms of our body. You know, God, God doesn't look like this. We're made in the image of God in terms of our spirit. And our spirit is what dies because of sin. That, that life that's in us is dead because of sin. And so when Jesus comes into us, when we are made alive in Christ, when the Holy Spirit fills us up, what happens is that that very core of our being suddenly, instantly becomes alive in Christ. Suddenly, instantly, it's holy, it's good, there's the righteousness of Christ that's given to us, we're declared not guilty, we're sanctified in that very core of our being. And then what we do the rest of our life is living out the reality, allowing the Spirit inside of us to begin to influence how we think, to influence how we feel, to influence how we choose, that's our soul, and then influence our whole bodies. Influence how we live. But it's got to come from the outside. It can never come from the inside. Uh, uh, it's got to come from the inside. It can never come from the outside in. It has to come from the inside out. And so Paul says that we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That in our thinking, we have to go deep to understand how God is in us, how God is alive in us through Jesus Christ. Not, not some New Age mystical kind of thing at all, but the reality that the Spirit has been made alive in Christ Jesus inside of us, and that Spirit has to, our Spirit has to influence how we think. And so when we know the truth of who God is, when we know the truth of God's Word, when we meditate on the Bible as God's Word, when we know the reality of what Jesus Christ has done, that reality in our spirit begins to influence the way we think. And it's a continual renewing process that we have to go through. It's not something where suddenly you go, ding, okay, I've got it. It starts in your spirit. Your spirit is suddenly made alive in Christ. But our soul and our body still needs a lot of work. And the beginning of that whole process is actually our mind. So the spirit works and begins to renew our mind. And then we put on the new self. Then we start to live. Then we start to do things in light of that reality. Then we make our choices as Jesus might choose if he was us. Then we start living out in the fact that we're already righteous, we're holy, we're good. Even when we make mistakes, God comes and heals us, he restores us, he cleanses us, and sets us again on the path of living. But that has to be an intentional choice. It doesn't happen automatically. 
We have to choose every day to put on this new self, even as we choose every day to put on our clothes. Every day it's saying, God, I want to follow you. Every day, Jesus, let me be in touch with your Holy Spirit speaking to me, making me alive in the core of my being. Let me be in touch with everything that you say in my mind. Let me feel the way that you feel. Let me choose the way that you choose so that my whole life is influenced by that. And that's the key to living the good life. Remembering that God in Christ has made us good through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And then out of that treasure in our hearts, out of that treasure in the core of our being, we live. And that makes us strong because it means that no matter what, we can live the good life. So much of what we encounter has to do with that reality of God making us alive in Christ and living out of that reality much more than any of our outward circumstances. And the person that can choose to do this is you. And the only person that can prevent you from doing this is you. It means that we have incredible power and influence because no matter what happens to us, we can live the good life. It explains how over the years there have been so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, some who are in jail and prison right now, who can be in prison and even begin to rejoice because they can live the good life even in the most miserable of circumstances. It's how people like Paul could say at the end of their life, you know, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. I've lived a good life, even though I'm going to die. We can live the good life by the power of the good God who lives in us and through us in Christ Jesus. And as we go to the Lord's table today, it is a reminder of the life, the good life that Jesus has given us. This table is for all Christians. It's for all who name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not something unique to City Temple. It's something that Jesus has commanded all of us. And through this bread and this cup and the miracle of God, he communicates his life to us, reminding us of all that he's done for us, reminding us of all that he's given us in the cross of Christ. So all are welcome to share. All are welcome to partake. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the good life that you've given us and the life that lives inside of us. Lord, I pray that your blessing would rest on this bread and this cup that they would be for us the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to strengthen us. Use them to remind us of your goodness, even in something as awful as the cross of Christ. Use them yet again to communicate life to us and empower us to renew our minds 
by our spirit in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that 